The world is a confusing, stressful, and often frightening place. And we each have our own unique coping mechanisms that help us get by. Some people will tell you that when life gives you lemons, you should make lemonade. No, that's terrible advice. Just randomly getting free fruit is extremely suspicious. Haven't you heard of Snow White? That's actually uh, a really good point. It's usually not a great idea to consume anything if you're not totally sure what's in it. If you're the type of person who copes with discomfort by making strange jokes and who enjoys losing yourself in a creepy and sometimes bloody mystery, please join us for our dark comedy podcast, Studying Scarlet. We alternate weekly between true crime and fictional crime, and we even take listener requests for episode topics. So if you too have a morbid sense of humor, we'd love to welcome you into our weird, quirky, and sometimes disturbing world. Studying Scarlet is available on your favorite podcast app, and you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We can't wait to meet you. Please subscribe today. Once upon a time. Boring. It was the best of times. It was the worst. You got that right. What's your problem? We want new stories. Hi, it's Frankie. And Garrett. And we host the Ever-Trending Story, a weekly podcast where we bring to life a fictional story created by our own minds and some of the hottest, craziest trends from the internet. Find us wherever you download podcasts and be sure to join the fun on social media at EverTrendingPod. All right, and we're back. <laughs> the good, you know, as much as I hated losing our first chunk of that, at least it, it, we didn't have the the chunk of me goofing up your name. No, thank you for that. Thank you. No, no problem. <laughs> That's okay. I have. So um, you're you're lucky to have a, a name like Jackson. Nobody can right Jackson. It's so yeah. like nobody can mess that name Jackson. up, right? Yeah, honestly. Well, honestly, <laughs> I had a guy, a, a buddy of mine, a writer, Brian Hershkowitz, who is, well, he's done a lot of things, but when I had him on and I had to say his name, man, and I, I in here, I know it, but as it comes out, I said Herkowitz, and then I went, ah, darn it. So it's, sounds it's like, sounds like me in my, back in my dating days, we'd have the same problem. Really? Yeah, I knew exactly what, what I wanted to say, but when it came time to like be having dinner with this girl I had a crush on, it didn't work. I I I know exactly what you mean. You're like, honest to God, I'm much more charming than I seem right now. <laughs> I... <laughs> Hi, it's Paul Margolis, and you are listening to the one and only MacGyver podcast with Mac Jackson. Hi, I'm Richard Dean Anderson. Name's MacGyver. Colonel Jack O'Neill was G1. My name is Pratt. Ernest Pratt. I always get a happy, tingly feeling when I see those guys. Name one contract that I failed to execute. MacGyver. Oh, here we go. You're a target. And I don't intend to miss. Over my rotting corpse. I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? Glowing eyes, cliché behavior, evilness, that kind of thing. Is mental illness contagious? You think? You can do anything you want to do if you put your mind... Well, you do have a penchant for pulling brilliant ideas out of your butt. Head. Out of your head, when we need them. Oh, stuff's already here, I just find a different way to use it. I like your attitude. Permission to take a team through the Stargate, sir.
Hi, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of the MacGyver podcast. I'm your host, Mac Jackson, and I'm proud to have on writer and exec- uh, story editor from MacGyver, Paul Margolis. Thank you for having coming on, Paul. Thank you, quick, Mac. Quick little edit for everybody. You missed about 10 minutes of great conversation because the darn thing didn't record. But we were just, <laughs> <laughs> we were just talking about... Um, the, the secret, the big secret that <laughs> I can now not reveal. I told you. <laughs> it you already happened. It's it. over. You didn't record it. And I can't say it again. I'm sorry. <laughs> we were just saying about, uh, we just started going into Paul's uh, time on MacGyver. And his first episode was Collision Course. And I had said that the thing about Paul's writing that really added to MacGyver was we got to get a little more backstory and depth into who MacGyver was that not everybody did. A lot of times, and I could say it, a lot of times they're great stories, but other than the MacGyverisms and Rick's personality, there's nothing really personal about MacGyver. But in your episodes, Collision Course being one of them, you really got into what makes MacGyver tick, what's his story before we ever met him. And in this case, it was MacGyver having caused the death of another driver, uh, clipping him, I believe, in the race. They do the flashback and everything. And that really stood out as not just another episode. That and the fact that that it was based on Rick's likes of racing. So you were saying about the secret, one of the things that pulled you in. Yeah, I mean, the... the, uh... You know, when you're a writer, you come up with an idea for a story, and there are a million different ways you can go with it. Part of what, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, part of what made this show so interesting was the kind of stoic uh, uh, personality of MacGyver that he doesn't really want to share very much about who he is. He wants to make everything about the other person, helping the other person. Um, He's not the kind of person that would sit over dinner and just like tell you everything about himself. And he would want to be monster. Yeah. He would want to be talking about you. He would be wanting to talk about your life and he would be sincerely interested in that, but he wouldn't want to go on about his own life. He wouldn't want to. And if you, and if you, if you asked him something specific, he would probably very, uh, very courteously turn the conversation around to you again. Mm-hmm. Now, as a writer, I mean, I was absolutely fascinated with that. And so what I tried to do in each one of the episodes that I wrote, there are four that I wrote completely. I probably wrote another 20 or 30 as a story editor, rewrote some of them page one rewrites. But the four episodes that I wrote, each one of them, I, the question I asked myself was, um, what can I reveal about MacGyver that people don't know that will give you a little bit of a little bit of a window into into who he was? Mm-hmm. Um, and there was that in Collision Course. There was one in the in the Black Corsage, which I wrote. Um, there was one as well. And then mm-hmm. the biggest one that I worked on that there was actually one of the things that I've written in my career that I was proud of, proudest of was Black Rhino. Sure. Where 
I had a very specific uh, scene that I wanted to write when I first came up with that idea that was going to challenge MacGyver to his core in terms of his ethical core. Mm. Um, we can talk about that in a minute if you want, but yeah, if, you well, want, if you want to go back to collision course, we can well, do that. Here's here's the thing. I'll, we have like five minutes left before I have to re-invite, send the invite again. Okay. So we'll stay in collision course. Then when we come back, we'll jump onto others. Okay. But, uh, you know, there's no rule. We could bounce around anyway. It's That's it's great. not By like... The way, just just so I know how long we can talk as long as you want. Sure. Just sure. roughly so I can kind of figure out my. Sure, sure. About uh, an hour. Perfect. Yeah. Because great. we have this and then there would be another 40 minutes. I think it, sure. it gives you the window. Okay. Um, but again, natural conversation. That's yeah, what great. it's all about. Loving, Loving um, it. And, and, you know, the, the collision course is, again, could have been a, okay, this is the racing episode. But no, you gave us that dark side of him having doubts, not wanting to race again, even when he has to. And he comes up uh, beforehand, when he comes up with the MacGyverism to fix the thing under the hood, he does it, but then he blames himself when the bad guy cuts the brake line and causes the crash. Well, everybody thinks it's MacGyver's fault. That never happened before. Mm -hmm. it, it, throughout the entire series, nobody ever went, hey, pal. Come here, your MacGyverism didn't work. You almost killed that guy. And in this case, he's blaming him. You know, the daughter's even yelling at him. I hate you, MacGyver. I hate you. And she runs off. Right. That's that's heavy stuff. That's, mm -hmm. you know, because mm -hmm. that will happen in somebody's life. Yeah, he's MacGyver, but, mm -hmm. maybe you know, and, and he's blaming himself. I love the line that he says, yeah, Pete, good old clever MacGyver can fix anything, right? And is really like, you know, disgusted with himself. That's the highlight of that episode for me. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. he does, he, again, he's not an arrogant person. He goes, of course this will work. He'd never do that. Right. He's just trying his best. He happens, everybody else thinks of him as special and a genius, but he's just, you know, when they ask him, are you sure this is going to work? Nope. That when, has when, when somebody shows you their vulnerability, isn't that the thing that makes you love that person? Yeah. Like we all think, you know, if I tell somebody that I'm a total, that I feel like a total failure and I'm worthless and I'm just, if you say that to somebody, I mean, they're, they're going to have the opposite of a bad, they're going to, they're going to feel, they're going to feel warmth towards you because we're, we're all feel like that. That's right. part of the human condition. Right. Unless they're so, a complete monster, in which case. Yeah. But I think that, that for an audience, I think for an audience, again, I don't want to make a big deal about my, it was his no. performance. You know, I, I wrote the, some words, but he, he delivered the performance. Yeah. Um, but I think that, I think when you show people your, um, you know, he never, he never like made a big deal about MacGyver's like, wow, that really worked. You know, it just worked. And like, he moved on. Uh, and I think that's what we love about him, that we don't, he doesn't, uh, you know, toot his own horn and, and he does show his humanity and his vulnerability. Exactly. And, and I'll tell you, I, I, one of the things that the reboot <laughs> didn't bother with was they made him see the trick with MacGyver is yes, he's MacGyver. He's a genius at what he does. 
the writing was always he's not an expert in everything. He's not an arrogant. If he was arrogant, you'd go, get out of here. I don't care what you can do. You know, it, it has to be that humility over everything else. You know, and, and with the reboot, they had him. He could speak every language. He knew the, everything. He, you know, he was flawless. In which case, the audience goes, no, that's exactly. not, that's not you realistic. Know, you know what that reminds me of? Hmm. Instagram, social media. Right. Everybody's posting perfect shots, beautiful. Everybody's smiling. Nobody has a problem. Everybody shows you how, how these beautiful cars and restaurants and trips and beautiful faces and everybody's smiling and nobody's saying, yeah. I'm drowning here. Yeah. The, the mess behind you know? this picture is. Yeah. 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 Agreed. And that's what they're, and a lot of TV shows are doing that now where everybody is just perfect and. You know, the problem, yeah, even if there's a serial killer, they have a problem for five minutes and then they're onto their beautiful lives. It's, it's, a, it's a different way of approaching the storytelling uh, process. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's so subtle. Nobody ever shined a spotlight on it. You just go, I really love MacGyver. Even mm -hmm. now, I mean, people who are just watching it for the first time now will go, how do you not love him? How do you, you know, and it's because even though, like I said, nobody said, look, 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 he's not the best fighter in the world. Like he stumbles, he swing, you know, he does these mm -hmm. big swings. He's not right. an expert martial artist by any right. sense, right. but he's trying to learn and you go, thank you. Cause now I feel like I'm not being sold Hollywood magic. Right. I'm being shown a good moral person who's, by the way, that's the other thing about the show's uh, the episodes, they're not heavy-handed, ham-fisted preachiness. Mm -hmm. exactly. There's a message. Exactly. There is a heartwarming message, and it's true, yeah. but nobody's going, you know, let me stand up on my soapbox and preach to the world of how everybody should be as perfect as I. It, right. You know, that's yeah. that, that's that's a tight, that's a heck of a tightrope for a writer right. to write. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. Um, uh, I want to make sure I hit every thought that I had on this because, again, like I said, that trauma of MacGyver is such a great reveal. What did you know about, say, MacGyver beforehand? Like, it had been on the air for three years already. What Were you already watching it? Did Steve have to say, here's the premise? Or uh, So I, I had been watching the show. and. Um... And when Steve offered me the episode, I, uh, you know, I, I, I got to work learning the character, reading scripts, uh, watching shows, um, <clears throat> trying to remember how you watched shows back then. Right, because, right. Because there, I don't think there was any DVDs then. Were no, there? no, no, no. There wasn't even VHS. There at weren't the even time, VHS. At the time. It it's was... not like... It's not like the uh, the executive producer could say, hey, I'm going to send you five episodes of the show on your computer. You didn't even have computers, as I remember. Exactly. Yeah, it was uh, It was you. It, you got to watch it when it originally aired. And if you missed it, you had to wait till the summer. Right. One time right. and then it was gone. So I think I was watching the show. And if I if memory serves, there was a uh, I was too proud probably to ask um Steve Downing for, for some scripts, mm. <clears throat> but there was a famous old um, 
bookstore in Hollywood that um, was like the script church. Like they had scripts of every show in the, so I went there, I think I bought four or five MacGyver scripts. Wow. And um, studied them carefully and could see the basic breakdown uh, structure and um, got a sense of the character. And, and also I knew that I was going to be rewritten, you know, like it was, you know, part of writing is rewriting. So yeah. I might not get it exactly right, but, you know, I was, I knew, I was very confident I could get the, the basics down in a draft and then we could have, you know, Steve was very hands-on with each episode, the real perfectionist. And uh, as with that episode and all the others I wrote, you know, we really spent hours and hours going over everything to make sure it tracked perfectly. Hmm. So um, I don't really honestly remember the writing process, but sure. probably, you know, I had an idea hmm. of what MacGyver was and I had a pretty good story sense and I banged out a what I thought was a very strong first draft and then probably sat down with Steve and he said, you know, you got this and this right, but this stuff here, we got to really redo all this stuff. Hmm. And, um, and so, uh, and Steve was, you know, Steve, honestly, I mean, I like to think I was such a great writer, but he, he had a uh, sixth sense about uh, character and story construction that went into every episode. Uh, no, no script went to pre-production until he had really, uh, taken a very good hard look at it and seen if it made sure every possible um, strength had been fully exploited and anything that didn't really track in terms of what the basic theme of the show was had been deleted. Hmm. And you were saying, you started to tell me that I, I had hit upon one of the things with your writing of an episode that you wanted to do with MacGyver was give us more? Did you really, was it, because again, like well, I said, in your episode, you do give us deeper connection and understanding than maybe other episodes had before. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, I think uh, the best way to talk about that is um, if we talk about one particular episode. Black Rhino. Black Rhino, which was my favorite episode that I wrote. One of the things I'm most proud of writing, one of the things that was probably the most unlikely MacGyver episode, and where when I first had the concept, um, there was a there was a very specific scene that I had in mind. I wasn't sure what the whole story was yet, but I had a scene that I knew was going to be the heart and soul of that episode, and I think it's the reason that for a lot of people it became one of their favorite episodes. Okay. So let's talk about Black Rhino, if you, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you feel like it. Uh, um, okay. <laughs> okay, yeah. yeah. So, so uh, let me start by saying, how did, how in the world did Black Rhino get made? Right. You know, right. MacGyver goes to Africa. Well, I mean, come I, on. I can't just go to come Africa. On. Well, that's the thing. I mean, you put it in the script where he's like, you know, Pete, I can't just go to Africa. Right. Yeah. But let, let's think about this for a second. We were shooting MacGyver in Vancouver, <laughs> and it was fall already in, in in Vancouver. It was getting starting to get cold, 
And, um, and what happened was I read the New York Times every morning and I was reading an article that the black rhinos were being poached to extinct, extinction in Africa. And so, of course, you know, MacGyver was on my, on my brain 23 out of 24 hours a day. So I thought, great, MacGyver goes to Africa. Now, most writers wouldn't even dare to walk into the office of the the executive producer showrunner and say, hey, I got a great idea. But Steve, bless his soul, had told all of us story editors, if you ever have a great idea, I don't care how crazy it is. I don't care how hard it will be to produce. We're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, really. Honestly. What a what a tremendous, you know, opportunity for a writer to have to have a producer say that to them and not have to fight with the ego either. Yeah, no ego. So I so I walked into his office. and I said, hey, I got a great idea, Steve. The guy goes to Africa. He goes to Africa and he saves the black rhinos from extinction. And he said, I love it. Let's do it. So the, you know, he was just telling me something I did not know, which is as soon as that meeting was over, he then started the process of Paramount buying an animatronic rhino at the cost of $50,000, which at that time was a lot of money for an episodic show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they hired the guy who created E.T., in ET to build an animatronic rhino, which was at this the heart of this one scene I had just told you about that was the heart of the show. And even, I mean, that shows you how much faith he had in me to write the episode. I didn't know that he'd done that even before I turned in the script. So that's kind of amazing and heartwarming actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, the scene that I had in mind, which I think is it, what's interesting about the scene. I'll tell you the scene I had in mind and how it ended up being shot, which was different mm. and why it was different. Okay. Scene I had in mind was um, MacGyver connects with a female um, game ranger in Africa and uh, who's been trying to stop the poaching of the, the black rhinos. Their horns are being chopped off um, because in Asia, especially, the horns are valued for their, uh, you know, for lots of different reasons. Masculinity and all yeah, that. Yeah, 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 all these things. And so MacGyver comes, and while they're having a conversation about the poaching, uh, a transmission comes over the walkie-talkie that some poachers have just been caught after hacking the, the horns off a black rhino. And so MacGyver and this woman game ranger rush to the scene. And there we, we see this rhino that's still alive, groaning in agony, this animatronic rhino, bloodied, its horns have been chopped off. It's just lying there in the grass. Um, and the, the woman, uh, oh, and, oh, and MacGyver, the way I wrote it, MacGyver, has grabbed the rifle out of the hands of one of these poachers. And the poachers are now have been handcuffed and have been taken away. And here's this rhino and here's MacGyver with a rifle in his hand. Mm -hmm. And this and this rhino is 
these plaintiffs wails of this rhino it's in it it's an agony yeah and so the way i wrote it was that macgyver who as you probably know never never holds a gun never uses a gun right in this moment of just sheer um well just um that's a tough choice overcome yeah he's faced with a moral dilemma he never shoots a gun but here is this dying animal in front of him what's he gonna do what are you gonna that to me that was like that was the whole episode Mm -hmm. and it would have been and you see on his face the way i wrote it you see him tortured and just and the woman wrote the woman game ranger um 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 just overcome i'm sorry that i'm being so i'm i'm, I'm no i'm, I'm just you. trying to remember exactly i'm with you <clears throat> but um uh in the first draft I've, i had him lift the 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 gun and kill the rhino oh okay kills the rhino in in just a moment a tortured moment sure like what do you do and then, do, you, do you let him suffer do you put him out then, of his misery and then complete silence and cut to black that also was something that had never been done on the show where they didn't have a musical cue at the end of the act to go to commercial mm-hmm. the the shot fires and there's complete silence and they pull back on this dead rhino and the two of them standing there okay well so in pre-production that's when the problem started because um he had a very big problem with he said macgyver would never shoot rick yeah Ah. rick said macgyver will not even hold a gun Mm -hmm. so in a second draft i tried to lessen the situation by macgyver grabbing the rifle from the and then standing there because he just grabbed it from this poacher which you know could, you can understand him doing that even though he doesn't take guns and then he stands there in this agonizing moment holding the gun looking at the gun the female game ranger seeing his agony grabs the gun and shoots and kills the rhino okay, okay. i thought that was a good rewrite sure but i still thought you know it, it took away from the true moral dilemma that I thought was so fascinating. The, the scene that got shot was that, because again, Rick could not see himself holding a gun. He said, MacGyver will not hold a gun. Sure. So we ended up, <clears throat> excuse me, we ended up with um, the final draft was where the female game ranger grabs the rifle out of the hands of the poacher. And we just, have like half a minute of going back and forth watching the rhino watching a guy with expression watching the female game ranger uh who was actually the wife of james Earl Jones, yeah. Jones, by the way cecilia yeah yeah cecilia was wonderful um and she finally just lifts that rifle and 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 choose the rhino and she plays and it well too because she's hesitant like she like is crying yeah. and has to you yeah. know let's yeah. the moment play yeah now to me as a writer again with great respect to 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 rick and to the show as a writer i think the more powerful scene 
is for MacGyver to, and the more active scene is for MacGyver to have the gun. Because I thought he's, he's the one, he's faced with something. For him to be standing on the sidelines while basically, and just like looking at the rhino mm -hmm. and suffering for the rhino, it didn't have the same emotional impact to me. That's just me. Yeah, well, you know what? I'll tell you. It, for, by the way, it played great because it mm -hmm. does. There is no it, coincidentally. It happened to be on TV yesterday, and I was watching it. It's oh, like, how cool. yeah, I was like, you must have known that I was going to be talking with them. Wow. Uh, so it. I watched that scene, and again, I I've seen it a trillion times. But there is no music cue. It right. does do the pan out and the quiet before it goes to commercial, and it plays very heavy, which is great. Mm -hmm. I think. And, and you would have to tell me, but if MacGyver had pulled the trigger, I think that would have been what the rest of the episode would have had to have been about. Because I don't see him going, boom, and then, all right, now let's go get the poachers. Like, I think... No, you're right. You're right? absolutely right. That's that a great... That's a very good comment. Thanks. I do think that there was the need for him to be thinking about whether he could do it, at least. I agreed. And so yeah. the second draft of the woman taking it out of her hand, his hands, solves that problem. Agreed. But and makes him more active. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that he's just sitting there, but you know, it's a it's a powerful scene. He was able to bring a lot of heart and emotion to that scene, and so it still works. And Wait. that's that's a great example too of, um, uh, you know different drafts, different ways of handling a scene. Um, if the basics are there, it's going to work. You know, maybe it won't work. Maybe for some people, some people might have been offended. They might have, they might have been very angry. Yeah. Um, yeah. We love this rhino, but what the heck? You know, you, you've, you've made us fall in love with this guy who would never touch a gun. And now you're going to make him fire a gun. Some people right. would have been furious about that. There would have been a lot of debate even to yeah. this day of, well, right. he, was, he was ending its suffering, but he was right. such a gun, da-da-da-da-da. My son, by the way, catches the scene. He's 13, and he watches. He goes, whoa, because you can't tell that that's a, a, not a real rhino. It looks real. And the crying that it does, your heart you know, aches for it. And that whole moment, my son goes, whoa, that – that's heavy. That's wow. That's that's really disturbing. I'm like, good. That's what they wanted. They wanted you to see what's going on. Right. And of course, coming back, it, it plays well because Rick comes back. He gets out of the car, and he just he's like covering his face. He goes, you know, Kate. I got to tell you, that is the sickest, <laughs> the sickest, most inhumane thing I've ever seen in my entire life. That moment, good. Because it doesn't just move on. It plays. It lets him digest it and be sickened by it. And then talk about it. Right. And I think that's, you know, again, it never went preachy. It went, here's yeah. the cold, hard reality of what the world's dealing with. Right. And here's MacGyver very much disturbed over it. Yeah. And you want to hear something crazy? I've got two crazy little uh, anecdotes after that. Go one ahead. is that One is that um, after that show first aired, I kind of, you know, I've, I wrote the script, I wrote all the drafts, went through the pre-production of it, I was on set, and then, you know, the filming was over and I went on to the next episode that I had to, as story editor, I had to rewrite somebody else's episode, and then another one after that, and I totally forgot about the show. 
when it finally aired, you know, as you know, you know, shows air months after they're actually filmed. Yeah. So I totally forgotten about the show. Well, when the show aired, I actually started getting um, letters from kids, mainly kids, saying thank you for letting us know about the Black Rhinos. We didn't know there was a problem. We just started a Black Rhino club at our school. Wow. You know, some some small town in Ohio. Another kid, um, you know, I just gave I just um, gave some of my money for my paper route to the to the World Wildlife Fund because of what your episode and that was the that was the first one of the very few times that I felt like, wow, the power of writing. You know, it started from this just this little tiny idea to something we created to something that people saw to actually causing people to do things, you know, and to be aware of something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't you don't understand what a heavy influence that show, let alone an episode has on people. Exactly. You know, to be more and to do more is right. Just that's part of what I'm you want to know why I do this podcast. It's to celebrate you and everybody mm -hmm. that's part of the show because mm -hmm. it wasn't just a show it's mm -hmm. so it's a daily influence on myself let alone everybody that listens i know that they're they all chime in on the facebook pages and let us know that this is so relevant daily to our lives so right, right. that's a you know a good testament to your writing well thank you for that <laughs> you're welcome what was the other an anecdote you were going to say oh and then uh and then years and years later um, I was invited to uh, do a, a screenwriting workshop in New Zealand and <clears throat> at the New Zealand Film Academy. So I went down there for that. They invited me to come to this to this thing. And um, in one of the classes I was teaching, I brought up, you know, I wrote this episode called Black Rhino or something and, and um, just in passing. And then after the class was over, this guy came over and he said he was like almost in tears he said i can't believe you're the person who wrote black rhino <laughs> that was my favorite one of my favorite that's the thing that made me want to get become a screenwriter wow wow i i couldn't believe what i i thought he was putting me on but he was like i, I just thought wow that's unbelievable in, in another country mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so again it just you just don't know i think writers often forget uh for those of you people listening who are writers, you know, often we forget what the reason we're doing what we're doing, which is to, is to give something to somebody else. Right. Right. And, 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 and that, that we're not just writing it to just make a buck or we're just, you know, the, the whole reason for writing really is to, I have a beautiful idea about the human condition i want to share with you and that can be very powerful oh yeah yeah well, very powerful not that not that black rhino was you know um one of the great pieces of literature or anything but you know it's those little things you know i've had as with you i'm sure those little encounters in life where just just a little encounter somebody said something to you at exactly the right time or or you saw something you know, you just saw something on the street that you've never forgotten because there was some 
look in the eyes of somebody or, you know, and that is what life on this planet is all about. So it was, God. It, it was so humbling and it, it just made me remember why I wanted to be a writer in the first place. I'm with you with my writing. It's, it's, yeah, you, you're right. It's not about the money because if it was, I'd be broke. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, you're adding, you're hoping to add good, something positive to the world. Cause after we're gone, you want to have something that stayed, right? You know, hopefully it made a difference. And a lot of times I think, at least I never noticed it before. I noticed it. A lot of writers get taken for granted. Yeah, I wrote on, you know, you, you see a show or a comic and I collect comics. Well, in today's day and age, the writers and the artists get celebrated equally. Like you right. see a writer of a, a book that you love, right. it's like seeing, you know, Madonna or whatever. And right. so that's like kind of what this is all about. It's to yeah. point out that, look, these are the guys who gave you those great scripts. Mm -hmm. And it's it's so amazing how it it like you said I I've had people approach me with my stuff and I'm like really you like what I do yeah I'm like thank Let's God you never know because you you throw it out into the universe and you it's gone it's not yours anymore mm -hmm. but it might never come back to you so if anybody ever comes up with a nice thing to say I know what you mean you feel that warmth of wow it yeah. mattered it really mattered. Another, exactly. Another thing uh, that I love that you did was in that in the Black Corsage, you expanded the Colton family. Mm -hmm. How, was that like, I know you wanted to get MacGyver <clears throat> in Africa. How did Billy Colton come about? Like, what was, how did you throw that in there? Um, because I know Black Corsage was already out. So you already had <clears throat> Frank, Frank and Jesse Colton. Right, right, right. So I don't remember what episode was the first episode where the Coltons were. That was a season uh, four episode. Right, right, right. With with Bruce, actually. Um, yeah. So um, as I remember, and again, I don't, my memory is not what it used to be. I'm here for you. Don't worry about I it. I do remember thinking that there was an opportunity for expanding that family. It was just kind of a cool, the original Colton was kind of a cool character. And then the idea of creating you know a family of bounty hunters mm -hmm. black bounty hunters i thought was just a very cool concept mm -hmm. um uh there was even some talk about um that becoming a spin-off series actually at paramount yeah there's the there's the one episode that was a season six episode called right. the coltons that right. should have been <clears throat> that should have been right. a series just right. based on that alone i'm like yeah. how do you, how, that's a great cast it's yeah. a great premise yeah. They yeah. all have their own distinct personalities. That's right. And Steve, uh, actually, I had said something about that on, on the forum, on the Facebook page. And Steve jumped in and he goes, yeah, uh, you know why it didn't work? You know why it didn't get picked up? Because they were black. And the executives didn't think that people cared about an hour-long action-adventure show with black characters. And I thought, wow, because at the time they thought a half hour comedy because you had the Cosby. I show. thought that was one of the biggest missed opportunities in the yeah. world. I think that would have been a home run hit. actually. Right. I mean, yeah. it was so good just on that yeah. one episode. Yeah. 
and all the and all the members of the family were different and they yeah. were all doing different things they had different skills they had different and there was this great sort of uh and you know what it was just an opportunity for um kind-hearted friendship between black and white races exactly you know, it, which it, we it, which we could use a lot of right now, actually. Well, you know? obviously, yeah. But that's the thing. It, it, again, it was never preachy. It was never like MacGy no. MacGyver makes a friend with the <clears throat> black family. Like it, it's no. your people. That's that's yeah, yeah. You know that so, uh, it shouldn't have been. You don't need a spotlight on it. It's just no. the way things need to be. That's right. And that was one of those oh. shows that never again wasn't preachy. That's right. Like like okay, so we move into. The Black Corsage, which came before <clears throat> Black Rhino. How oh, did yeah. was it originally supposed to be the other Colton brother, Jesse? That was when you wrote it. Was it was Jesse the original brother, or did you create Frank on purpose? Well, I'm gonna have to confess to you. <laughs> I in preparation for our podcast, I did not look over these stories again. And it's been a long time. And I don't remember the all the details about the shows. Well, Jesse showed, Jesse showed up in Ma Colton. That was season right. four. Right. And then you don't see him. And then you get Frank, who shows up in your right. episode, Black mm -hmm. Corsage. Right. I didn't know if, like, you went... I think it was probably a casting issue. Like, they couldn't get the guy who was the previous... Sure. Um, so create a new character. Huh. And it's a great, hey, great casting with that one. Yeah. Too. Yeah. They got the. Cleavon yeah. Little? Woo. That's right. Come on. At the time, that was a real coup to get him. So, and that was also because he was fairly substantial. That was a reason why it kind of opened up the whole Colton concept, I think. Because he was open to doing a series, I think. Was he? Oh, see, man, they should have. Yeah. Oh, that, and of yeah. course, you get Billy Colton in Black mm -hmm. Rhino. Who you know? Okay, there's your dynamic. So and Billy Colton was uh, was uh, Gooding Jr. One of the first things he did. So right? that was kind of cool. <laughs> yeah. Well, he had yeah. been on a, a previous episode called uh, the Challenge. Right. Right. And then as a different character. Yeah. So well, that was before he really took off as a you know. Yeah. Academy yeah. Award-winning uh, actor. When he did, though, I'm like. That's Billy Colton. You're not going to tell me any differently. Clear. <laughs> I know him from way back right. when. Right, right. It was right. only a couple of years before, too. Yeah. Um, with Black Corsage, tell me the premise. How you came about with that one? So, uh, <clears throat> so the premise was um, to me not as uh, important as just again the thing like like we talked about the gun scene and I was the thing that I was intrigued with in, in Black Corsage was the relationship with the um dog. Okay. And like let's see MacGyver hang out with this dog and see like the relationship. And he's not the most dog, you know, oriented well, he, person. He, of the he world. loves dogs, but I remember them them addressing the fact that even in the, that was the episode. Yeah. I can't have a dog. That's right. I'm on the road all the time. That's right. So it was kind of the cool thing of having the dog and being stuck with the dog. And dog was very cute, by the way. Yeah, frog, um, right? Yeah, frog. <laughs> yeah, dog named frog. 
Um, so the other, you know, the rest of it, we, we did have this um, part of the way that that was structured, that that's, that episode was that uh, the expo site in Vancouver was something they had never used before on an episode and it was available. So we wanted to find a way to create a lot of um, action sequences in that very enclosed location that would make it very um, easy to shoot. Um, so I so there's an example where I think as as a, if I remember correctly, we wanted to create a you know um, action drama around something that happens at this particular site that forces us to stay there for most of the episode. Well, the 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 <laughs> I'm always fascinated as at the technical aspect of it where you had to come up with an idea of they're all looking for they each had a piece of the, the that's right app. yeah i like i like the idea of the the cellophane um puzzle pieces that got laid on top of each other how'd I you come up with that cool. i don't remember right because i mean that's that's unique and i've seen some people try mm -hmm. and do it since then and i mm -hmm. think they're they're watching that episode and taking from it oh that's flattering right but yeah. it, it, you know to to make that work <clears throat> yeah, you got to go, all right, is this realistic? Is this the way these guys would handle it? That was very clever. And the, uh, you. you're welcome. Thank the you. um, Do you have to come up with the MacGyverisms? Like when he goes into the, well, first of all, they're tied up. So they got to get out of that with Frog, with the fish cannery. Oh, the fish cannery, right. There was, again, that was another location that they wanted to shoot at that was available. Hmm. And... um. And um, again, I did, you know, when, whenever we had MacGyver's, the writers were not the ones who really came up with the specific MacGyver's. Did you know that? Yes. Okay. So they had, they had hired somebody that was basically MacGyver mm -hmm. personality, knew about how to take a piece of gum and a tinfoil could actually create something. And so we would come up with the, we would sort of put MacGyver in a dilemma and then we would turn to him to say, well, what's available? What can we do? Okay. I remember that um, in I knew it was going to take place at a fish plant, and so I did some research about fish and just and found out that these um, I think it was called the sheep's head fish um, has these razor sharp um, teeth. teeth. So yeah. that seemed like okay, we can use that somehow. I'm not sure how yet, um, and um, um, so those were the you know I. I don't remember the exact specifics, to, to be honest, but... Well, okay. So here's the setup. They're going down the road. They're going to get chopped up. They're yelling to Frog because they want him to bring... Oh, that's him, right. They that's want right. him to bring him the hose that's to hit right. the power box. Right. And I'm thinking, man, that's a shot in the dark. That's, you know... <clears throat> had The way you wrote it, thank God, that's not what happened. It was... Because one, a dog isn't going to know to do such a thing. And to had that played out that way, I think the audi audience would have went, no, it, that, you, but the way it does, the dog happens to step on the pedal, right, which right, shifts right. them and dumps them, which I thought, okay, yeah. good. I yeah. agree with that. Yeah. That's, that's, right. that was a good switch. That was yeah. a nice surprise. Right. Yeah, I don't, I, one thing I don't ever like to do in my writing is what I, what I call result writing, which is yeah. you need something to happen. So you create something earlier that makes it happen. That's like 
that's really like the, um, it's just kind of the low grade way to write. Yeah. A much more fun way to write is paint yourself into a corner. You have no idea how you're going to get out of this thing. Mm -hmm. That happened to me several times on MacGyver and my own shows and also other episodes where how the hell, and, and then you, as soon as you stop panicking, you realize that that's the key to a good episode. If you can't figure out how to get out of it, then the audience can't either. There it is. And then you have to come up with, you just have to keep brainstorming to come up with that little thing that's going to be the solution that was there all along. Yeah. Well, like I, with the MacGyverism <clears throat> at the end where, you know, he's hiding from the guys who are looking and he uses one of the displays. <clears throat> I'm like, oh, that's, that's smart it's it's practical mm -hmm. it's re i could see why they would react the way you know they're going to hear the sound they're going to go towards the sound they're going to try and grab the the thing that right. they want and then he comes up behind them and gets them that's so i've got a question for you mac all right you've been so incredibly complimentary to me <laughs> i would like you i would like to dare you to tell me about a scene or a plot twist or something that I wrote in one of the four episodes I wrote that you've seen okay. that didn't quite work for you. Hmm. Or um, a line of dialogue or okay. Okay. something. Okay. It's quite the challenge. And I'm trying to put on my, my what, critiquing hat, but well, before you go on, I just want you to say you need to be a thousand percent honest. You don't have to. Don't spare me. I got you. I, I really want to hear. Just give it to me. Friendship is based on honesty, so you're getting Love it. Love it. Okay. okay. So I, I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll preference it with this. I've always said my enjoyment of an episode of MacGyver is how much he's in it. It sounds simple, but, you know... Rick is great, and I even just to watch him with his facial expressions reacting to somebody else's dialogue, I'm happy. I'll take it because he's entertaining. The episodes that I've never loved as much, there's two. Twice Stung, which was a season two episode, and Jenny's Chance, which was written, I believe John Shepard wrote that one. Mm -hmm. And he understands because... What they tried to do with those was to lessen the load off Rick by having it be a, everybody come together and we're all going to be a team. You know, as the viewer, I don't care about that. I don't need the team. You know, I, it's MacGyver. MacGyver's there. You can have Pete off to the side or Jack Dalton. But I want to see as much of MacGyver as I can. So not that there's anything wrong with those episodes, mm -hmm. but if you lessen MacGyver's time, I don't care. And especially if he's pretending to be somebody he's not. You know what I mean? As much as I like Dexter, his the alter ego nerdy character that he would do. Clever. But give me MacGyver. Because then the rest of that Jenny's Chance episode, he's it's him he's not even in the the last act because it's supposed to be him in a mask. Right. As an audience, where's MacGyver? Well, yeah. he was in the mask the whole time. I don't right. care. Yeah. So that's what we're going on. Mm -hmm. uh, and there have been certain dialogue. The gun, for example. The last line in the gun is a little heavy-handed when he goes, you know, one down. And he says, yeah, only 38 billion to go. That 
came close to getting like, uh-oh, don't get preachy. But because it was the last line, you're able to let it go. That that felt a little heavy. Yeah. Um, okay, so I'm looking I'm looking you're at really, the, you got your build up is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it's the writer in me, you know. Uh, the uh I've learned from the best. Um I'm holding on to my table. <laughs> all right, <clears throat> if I if I go through the four episodes that you gave me. Okay. I we already talked about had you not made the change. The part where they're yelling to the dog, bring us the hose frog, had that played out exactly the way it was supposed to look like it was going to, I would have had a big problem with that. I got you. Thankfully, through coincidence, they get saved by, and of course, the whole thing of MacGyver, I remember thinking, you could just throw yourselves over, maybe because you're tied together. Can't you ultimately throw yourselves over and land on the floor? Somebody's you're gonna break something. Yeah. That was, but I thought I played it off in my mind of they're tied together, so maybe there's no leverage. I'll let that go. Right. That would have been hard. Yeah. Before you go on, mm. it's very possible that I wrote the scene the way you would have had a big problem with it. Mm -hmm. And Steve Downing said, Paul, oh, we can't do that. <laughs> right. We gotta, we gotta rewrite that. Yeah, because I mean, so it's very possible that I, you know, again, yeah, this is the writing process. Sure, sure. And you try stuff, and you know, mm -hmm. so yeah, had had the dog walked over with the hose, sprayed it up at the power thing. Yeah, I, I think the audience to this day would have said bull crap. Right. But thankfully, it played out the way that it did. Mm -hmm. Um, boy, dialogue wise. Out of those four episodes, I hate the fact that the little girl says, I hate you, MacGyver, I hate you, but tough noogies, she gets to feel that way. You know, because you don't want your hero being told you that she, but again, characters. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so let's see. I love all the rest of it. Uh, let's see. Collision Course has said that, oh, we already talked about this. Collision Course, had you not done the specific. Flashbacks. No. I didn't care for the flashbacks. It was the deeper character development with him doubting himself. And also the, everybody else around him going, boy, you really effed up this time, didn't you, MacGyver? Which right. never happens. Had right. it not been for that, I think the episode would have been just a racing car. Right. Because, oh, you know, the cars are going around. Right. So, again, I, you know? would, love, I would love to take credit for all that. I honestly don't remember. Mm-hmm. Who you know how those lines came to be? Mm -hmm. I, I want to take full credit, but um, but you know the truth is again the writing process on a TV show, you're rewriting. You have other people rewriting with you. You have stars that want to change the lines. Sometimes you're right there on the set, and they say the line. They say no. That and they're filming, and he says no. You know, or something comes out by accident. You know. Mm -hmm. um, and um, uh, it, it's very possible, because Rick was this kind of actor, it's very possible that some of the lines that you uh, responded to most strongly in a favorable way, it's just like he was right there and he said, no, I, you know, I got to say something about this or I got to do that. And I get credit for it because, you know, written by Paul Margolis. Yeah, yeah. So I don't remember the exact details, but I can tell you that 
writing is a collaborative process on a TV show. Oh, sure. And, um, well, Rick Drew told me uh, stories about how they would have to change something last minute or, yeah. you know, if the script came in and it was good, but it wasn't, it needed something, yeah. you know, so I get and even that. when you're, even when you're shooting, you know, he, Rick would have the confidence to say, I, I don't, that line doesn't, you know, it doesn't come off my tongue. You know, I got it. Or, or how about this situation? We're, we're, why are we not addressing this? <laughs> so Wow, that's actually part of the magic. I love that. I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Um, you know, I remember a writer telling me uh, the the two writers that wrote um, the Harrison Ford movie Witness. Okay. Well, he's about going into Amish country and that thriller. And do you remember that? Oh movie? yeah, classic. I, yeah. yeah. Okay. Sure. So there's a line in that movie that is just so one of the great lines um, where he's in the kitchen of the Amish kitchen. And um, they've given him a cup of coffee or something. And he says, great cup of coffee, honey, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. Great, it's just a great line. No, nobody wrote that in the script. And the two writers won an Academy Award for that script. Wow. Uh, nobody, nobody, they didn't write that line. He ad-libbed that line on set when they were filming. And they kept it in the movie. Wow. So there's a good example of just the process of actually filming something and working and reworking that is what creates this symbiosis you know the they, call it a, they call it a living script is that accurate i think that's a great description yeah yeah because it, it's not it's constantly so, growing and evolving yeah so i was you know in, so i like to you know i i did work on the show i did write these episodes but <clears throat> there was the special icing on the cake that uh other people may have had a big hand in, actually. Steve Downing, certainly. Sure. Rick, I, I saw many situations where he had uh, major input into a scene that, that ended up being the whole show, you know? Mm -hmm. I'm telling, and, and it, it shows, because like I said, I'm watching it even the first time through going, okay, I know what he, I know what his response is going to be. Because I understood him and that character mm -hmm. so well that I'm like, mm -hmm. he would say, and it, before I could say it, it would be said. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yeah, here I am in my room going, yeah. I knew how he would say it. Um, so can I, put you, can I put you on the spot again? Always. All right. How many how many seasons of MacGyver were there total? Uh, seven. And so how many episodes? Oof. Come on, do your math. No, no, no. no. Well, that, see, it's so, different. It's different. It's over 100. Way. It's like 130 right. something. Okay. Do you have one absolutely all-time favorite episode? Come no. on, Mac. No, no, and I'll tell you why. No, I can't do that. It's the same thing like saying, what's your favorite song? Or what's your, you know, you can't do that. That's, it's too Well, limited. I can tell you what my favorite child is. Oh, well, sure. <laughs> That's easy. Uh, <laughs> um, no, because, and, and again, the amazing, beautiful thing about MacGyver is what mood are you in? What do you feel like watching? What episode? Because, yeah, there's the Murdoch episodes. Well, that's his arch enemy. We're going to have Murdoch in it? That's epic. Or Jack Dalton's in town. Ah, crap. You know, so you got to watch him be kind of like frustrated through it. But I'll be, you know, I'll watch an episode from, say, fifth season because I want to see him walk in the door and make himself a cup of coffee or, or you know, waxing his skis. Right. Remember how we talked about the quiet moments that mean so much to me? Mm -hmm. 
that's the longevity. So I don't, when I'm going to watch an episode with the family, because again, to the kids, it's new, you know, that they're being well-educated on good television. It's Stargate and MacGyver. Well, and- how, how are your kids with all the other stuff they have to look at? How is your 13 year old responding to MacGyver? He has his own Swiss army knife. Uh-huh. He's, he's my boy. He's, he, he's luckily they're, they're, deep, smart, thinking, caring children that I am proud of. And so they value, they don't need flashy lights and dumbed down TV. They've been raised to appreciate good dialogue and moral dilemma. And so, you know, my daughter is 10, my son is 13. And they valued like, oh, we get to watch a MacGyver episode. All right, I want one where he's in the woods, see? So you get, do you want the one where he's in the woods? Do you want the one where, you know, he deals with this one person a certain way or he has this type of debate? That's what motivates me to watch a particular episode. It's not like watch one. If you've seen one, you've seen them all. No, no. Your episodes are, okay, let's talk about moving on to give you a good example. Lost Amadeus. Lost Amadeus starts off with him. Bike riding on a Sunday. That's right. I love it. Yep. Give me more. You know, I could watch an hour of that mm-hmm. because you're watching him live his life. He's not on a mission. If you uh, going back to a critique, if if you want to hear a critique, one thing I wish that was done in the later seasons, they stopped having him be on missions. It was a lot of he happens to be in the wrong place at the right time kind of thing which are great, but I thought we should see him on the job more. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. That, would, that would be the one criticism I, I had. Again, I, interesting. Comment. Right? Yeah, because, mm-hmm. again, it's if it's him being in the wrong place at the right time, mm-hmm. cool, be, but it shouldn't be every week. And, right. it's, and I felt like, okay, why is he – everybody, you know, he's bumping into these p- people in danger. When it happens too much, you go – I want to see him do his job, send him overseas or, for example, the, the Africa one, Black Rhino, that felt like Africa. It's still yeah. outside Vancouver, but. No, they were, they, I can't believe they did that, but that's they did. amazing. I believe yeah. that's Africa. Yeah. Um. So, Lost Amadeus, he starts, he's riding a bike with his neighbor who was briefly introduced in a previous episode. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, Halloween nights, because he has the boat outside, and they start talking. He goes, "I don't I'm, remember that. I don't yeah. remember that." He goes, "I'm your new neighbor. It's a shame you're moving out." Oh, well, I don't remember that. He thinks it's Jack Dalton stealing all his stuff out of his houseboat. But in your episode, that character gets brought back, and they're you know riding the bike, and there's just such charm. And we haven't even gotten into the thrust of the episode yet. Mm-hmm. And then he meets the the zany girl who hits him with the hits his bike with the car. Right. Tell me what was the nugget of that? Uh, so a couple things. One was uh, there was a there was a movie that uh, Jonathan Demi, I believe, directed called Something Wild. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie about that a crazy familiar. a crazy girl like Lulu in that episode. And uh, just a sort of crazy road trip movie. 
And I just thought that was a very cool kind of character. Uh, the polar opposite of MacGyver in every right. way. Yeah. And I just thought putting these two kind of characters together would be very cool. Um, and then I also was reading about, um, I guess, again, uh, I'm an insatiable reader and insatiably curious about things. I was reading about Stradivari violins and uh, how expensive they are. I have a friend who's a world-class cellist who uh, mentioned how expensive her cello was one time. And I just, it got me like so fascinated with that whole world. And um, so much so that actually that I went down to a, uh, when I had the idea for something around a violin, I went to a uh, very fine violin store in Seattle, drove down from Vancouver. Um, he was like the guru of, he was the guy, the, if you wanted to buy a Stradivari on the West Coast, this was the guy. Mm. So I spent a whole day with him and that was just fascinating around these, these violins and, you know, and so as a, you know, being a writer, just you're partly a detective and partly a reporter. It's like, well, if somebody was going to steal, like, what would this be worth and how would you do it? And I remember him telling me in the shop, he said, how do you keep all these violins safe, you know, and the halon gas um, system that they had in the shop. And, oh, that's perfect. You know, we got to do, and, and then it, and then it sucks all the oxygen out of the room. Thought that that's just that was great. Yeah. So you know, again, part of the way you come up with great stuff as a writer, I think, is just to do great research. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to like sit there at your desk and just make the stuff up. You, you, you. Um, you look around. You look around, and you, and, you, God. and you ask questions, and you and you and you get to know people, and they and you know the the thing that has always amazed me as a writer is that. People love to tell you about what they do. Hmm. You know, even like I've done a lot of police dramas, uh, movies, thrillers involving, you know, bombs and, you know, all sorts of crazy stuff. And even people that won't talk to anybody else, even like $2,000 an hour lawyers and, you know, bomb squad detectives. And if you tell them, I'm writing a story about this area, would you have, you know, would you? Give me five minutes of your time. Mm -hmm. Next thing you know, it's like two hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They love to talk about what they do, and you just can't scribble the stuff down fast enough. It's like all the best ideas they they have they have all the material, they have all the scenes. All right. you have to do is just ask the right questions. And I'll tell you, what one of the MacGyver signature things is if he's tied up or needs to do something, it's that moment of. Yeah, looking around. I'm yeah, sorry. looking around. And it's not like a da, 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 da. It's but you feel it as the audience. You're like, oh, here it comes. Right. Just that quiet moment of, all right, let me look and see what we, what's around us. Right. And when he looks up and then he explains about the gas coming down, that's that's real. That's that's yeah. a realistic thing. They, yeah. These guys tied them up in the room with the expensive stuff. Great. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, and the, the great thing, too, about I mean, you made you made Lulu lovable. Lulu doesn't necessarily have to be lovable. She's a pain in the rear end. It's true. And by the way, the middle name of my daughter behind me is Lulu. Also, yeah? In honor of. Really? Wow, that's cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, she's she she comes up. You kind of like, I like her. She's, she's a lot. 
to mm-hmm. deal with. And mm-hmm. MacGyver's like, no, seriously, I can walk from here. Like the whole time he's in the car, he's like, it's okay. I don't, I don't need the ride home. It, it, you know, and to watch him like smile and try and like, okay, make up. He's trying to have a conversation with her, but she's so all over the place. Right. And the, the payoff is his reaction to everything. It's him going, you know, you like, you know, so do you like music? And she's talking yeah. about his age and he mentions his age. And most importantly in that episode. His name. The name, the tease of the name. Yeah. What, so what that, you- was, that was one of the things I wanted to do in that episode. I knew I wanted to do a scene where, um, where we're going to have that tease. That was a great tease because it's throughout the episode in a natural way. She's like, what's your name? MacGyver. Is that your first name? I just go by MacGyver. And right. she's like, "What's what's your real name? You don't need to know." Like, you know. And, and I think I think I think she says, uh, "Let me see your driver's license." Later on in the episode, she right. takes it. He goes, "What are you doing? I want to right. see." That's, That's your, your name, name, huh? That's your name. That's right. <laughs> I can see why you go by MacGyver. Yeah. So yeah. you know, as an audience, you're going, "Oh God, what is his first name?" That it's got to be something terrible. Yeah. How yeah, bad yeah. can it be? And when Rick said that he came, the way he came up with Angus. You go, no, that makes sense. It, it feels like, yeah, that would be his name. Yep. You know, like so, something like Bernie or, you know, <laughs> something nerdy wouldn't work. <laughs> you know, or like Stace. Right. Like originally they had written in the script Stace or Stacy was his name. That doesn't work. But Angus, right. you go, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's enough. Um, and then you were a script supervisor for just season five? Uh, yes. I was. Uh, I don't know. What, I don't remember what my exact title was, but just for one or editor season. or whatever. Yeah. And then you left for the movies. Is that what you were? And I was offered a feature, and I came back to LA to do a feature, um, and uh, then did did one feature after another for a while. Then got into other TV shows, um, um, and did a bunch of TV movies, and uh, did some very bad uh, Steven Seagal movie and. Uh, and and uh, Bruce McGill was in one of those, by the way. I don't know if it was the same one you worked on, but Bruce McGill plays the bad guy in one. Very of possible. I remember Bruce fondly. He remember a wonderful dinner we actually had once. Uh, he's a very interesting guy, isn't he? Um, the the bad guy in the uh, Los Amadeus and I became good friends. Actually, really. Uh, his name was Herb Edelman. He was a very well known. Um, he was on Golden Girls. Comedy actor, right? Yeah, and Golden Girls. He passed away uh, a few years ago, but uh. we after that show, we we just became good friends on the show. And um, when I came back to LA, and he lived in LA, we would always have these nice lunches, like once a month, and uh, lament about all the uh, problems of the film business. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, it's funny because Rick Drew and I will 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 complain to each other if we see something that's just written terribly i.e. the not MacGyver show, I would like vent to him about it. Got you. I'd say that reboot is terrible. Yeah. And and it's it's nice to have someone to actually go, am I wrong about this? Or, you know, to bounce yeah. the thoughts off of. Yeah. Well, it's not really MacGyver. Right. It's just a different show. They just put the name MacGyver on it, but it's really a completely different show. You're quoting exactly what I've always said. They just took yeah. the name and went, we're going to trick the audience That's into right. watching this. That's exactly right. You know, but again, In every way. it's In over. Every way. That lasted five seasons. It's done. Mm-hmm. And and it'll be it'll be forgotten, I'm sure. Yeah, it won't but, have the lasting power of, of the original MacGyver. Not at all. But um, so I was a so I was a writer for you know I had a nice long run as a writer, and then um, 
I started, uh, uh, you know, I, I mentioned I was invited down to New Zealand to do this um, writing thing. And then um, I was, because of the success of that, I was invited down to Australia, New Zealand, like two dozen times to come down and do more extensive screenwriting workshops down there. That was a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Um, and then, uh, and then my, you know, what inevitably happens with writers is that um, you get aged out of the business. Really? Yeah. Well, I that's slowly, stupid. I know it's just a fact of life. So you got slowly. I saw my career starting to dip a little bit, and um, it became less and less fun trying to get jobs and and some of these rewrites of stupid movies where the the exec the the story editor was twelve years old and you know. This, it just didn't, it wasn't working anymore. Yeah. So I, um, so one day, 12 years ago, a tennis buddy of mine, tennis is my passion, tennis buddy of mine, uh, I was on the court complaining about some stupid TV movie I was writing. And he said, you know, Paul, you're, he was a big manager at Cobalt Banker, a real oh. estate company. He said, you're not having fun as a writer anymore. Why don't you come over and be um, a real estate agent? Come over to the dark side. Sure. So I, I so I, came, I I said you're I said thanks Gary thanks a lot I went home to my wife and I said you won't believe what Gary said like how stupid is this she said you know you've had such a great time as a writer but it's not what it used to be the business has changed and what do you have to lose so uh, so long story short I twelve years ago became a uh, real estate agent. And I've been working in the, you're probably just aghast at hearing this. No, 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 because but, there's a part of me that that loves the idea of doing that. If it wasn't mm -hmm. for all the, the classes and everything, I love exploring. And when my wife and I were house hunting both times in our starter home and then in the home we're in now, right. I loved it. I loved going into people's houses and seeing what's here and there. You know, so there, I get that Very appeal. Cool. And, yeah. and I was lucky in that um, the first couple of houses I sold were to, you know, half of my friends thought I was insane and were aghast. And, you know, the other half were like, this is kind of cool. And by the way, I'm selling my big $10 million house over here, would you like to sell my house? So I was very lucky and then I got into the luxury market very quickly. And so now I'm really, you know, doing sort of the high end uh, market in Beverly Hills and uh, the West side here in LA. I was gonna ask and, where you were. I didn't know if you were still yeah, in LA. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, I, I did, uh, five years ago, I did write a novel, which was something I'd always wanted to do. It's called The Naked Philosopher. It was mm. well received. Um, a thriller, uh, nice. a father and son relationship set against a uh, missing person story, and that was probably the thing I was the most was the most fun for me because I got to write exactly what I wanted to write. I didn't have to, uh, you know, have all these uh, notes from studio executives, and so that was a lot of fun. I'm glad I got the chance to write one one novel, but um, but you know, I'm just uh, uh, one day when the real estate stuff, it, when I'm getting too old for that anymore, I will go back to writing. I was going to, that's, that's writing what I was going to say. My, writing is an absolute, absolute passion for me. Right, right. Um, 
I couldn't about stop being, if I wanted to. That's you're a writer I'm too. Yeah, I, writer couldn't, too I couldn't stop if I wanted to. Yeah, yeah. And so like you get in, you know, there, is there any better feeling in the world than getting in the zone where you just say, okay, I'm just going to sit down for five minutes and write this down. And next thing you know, it's like <laughs> yes. 14 hours later, your bladder is about to explode. Yeah, yeah. But you're and, excited to see where these characters are going to go next. I'm like, and like, how did you come up with that stuff? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm definitely going to be going back to it and, um, and nothing would bring me more pleasure than that Steve Downing figures a way to bring back the original MacGyver. Honest and, to God, yes. And and he says, Paul, would you like to work on the show? And I would just, I would be in hog heaven. That would be my dream of dreams. Well, Rick has said, he goes, yeah, I would, I would be MacGyver again, as long as they didn't try to make me 20 years old. Did he really say that? Sure. Yeah. Oh my God, that would yeah. be amazing. But that again, he says, amazing. you'd have to play me age appropriate. Like, I'm, no. you know, and great. Yeah, because that's it's not, and I think that's the thing. I I think he under, uh, under doesn't understand how much he matters to MacGyver. It's not Absolutely. the explosions. It's not the MacGyverisms. It's just him on screen. Yeah, you know, that's well. Since you know that, I think it's incumbent upon you to put the Beatles back together. Oh God. Beatles, and, you say? No, I just mean figuratively speaking. Oh, you've okay. Got, you got Rick over here. You're talking to all these people. You got Rick. You got Henry. You got Steve Downing. You got I don't know. You well, should stir I, the pot a little bit. See I would love to. There. I I met Rick a couple times, and the last time he said he would come on the podcast, but I'm at I'm stuck now because I don't have his email address, and I don't want to be a pest. So I'm kind of like trying to get people to tap him on the shoulder and go, don't forget, he's waiting for you. Because the audience is going, love your show, but where the heck is Rick? We're waiting for yeah. Rick to come, you know. Yeah. And uh, I, because of Steve, I got to get a hold of Bruce McGill. So he's a wonderful guy that I had on. Um, got to get Michael DeBar on. You know, no, so. Michael DeBar. Right? And Henry, sure. if, if I can get a hold of Henry, I know he'd have a good time coming on too. But again, it's a it's a tricky tightrope because greasy wheel was it the squeaky wheel gets the grease, but at the same time I don't want to be a pest. You know why, what I mean? why do you feel you're being a pest? Well, how often can you remind somebody? Like it, you know, I I can't go, hey Rick, hey Rick, hey Rick, hey Rick, hey Rick, hey, you know, because now you're you take away from like this is fun. This is me and you talking. We're having a great mm -hmm. conversation. Mm -hmm. It's natural. I would hate for someone to feel like, ah, oh, I got to do that show. Like I, you know, if it's not fun, why do it? Like I want, I want the celebratory feeling of what this all is to be there. And I also, I, I think Rick is might be afraid of, if you've ever watched an interview with him, people tend to ask him the same five questions over and over again, and I wouldn't do that. Like mine's. Well, that's I, why. That's why. It might work with you. I agree. And, you're, and and if and from what I understand, you are the person that kind of gets the show better than anybody out there right now. Thank you. Thank right? you. Yeah, I, I, think, I, I think I think you've got that rep out there. I, thank you. I appreciate that. And so there's something there, you know. And if anybody is going to be the messenger, I think it should be you. I I will do and my best. Might, and, and maybe rather, you just need to ask directly. Okay. I just yeah. say, you know what? Here it is. Call me, call me crazy, but I think that there's a need in this world of you know forgettable television, and there's something very special that could happen here. Mm -hmm. 
And a lot of the original chefs in the kitchen would probably be part of this. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that's, wow, that would be amazing. I will, I will start that. Uh, I will really, it will, it'll help if I can get a hold of, you know, getting Rick on the show. I think that's step number one, but getting Henry on, yeah, I I would share those thoughts with him and he has the, he has the power to make that happen. I think. Absolutely. So yeah, absolutely. Let's let's, uh, start that push. Huh? Love it. I love it. Thank you. (laughs) you, Uh, This was a pleasure. Absolute pleasure. Yeah, me too. I like, you know, I, I, again, big thanks to Steve for connecting us because he knows. The best. Steve is the best. Right? He. I always say that I only have people on the show that I admire, respect, and are good people. And so, like I said, Steve sent me the email saying, I got a good person for you because he knows. Well, that's awfully nice of him. Yeah. And I, uh, I thank you for, um, as I said before, either on the air or off the air. You know, your writing matters and has mattered to not only my enjoyment, but my development as a human being. So, yeah. Thank you so much. May I send you a copy of my novel? Please. Uh, Are you kidding? I'll I'll write a little uh, inscription in it. And if you just give me your your mailing address, I'll send it off to you. That's very sweet of you. I I, I will love and cherish that all the days of my life. And give me, uh, give me, just just email me your address. I will. And uh, and let's keep the conversation going. And if anything comes of this uh, idea, that mm-hmm. uh, just you know, I will keep you are together. You... Tell tell the powers that be. I would be happy to be the secretary, the water boy, whatever just on to that be part project. Of it. That would be an amazing project. Okay. Um, right. I definitely. Are you on social media? Uh, yeah, but only really in real estate. That's okay. I mean, if you're on Facebook, I'll find you. Yeah. And that way we'll connect and we'll, yeah. we'll, I'll occasionally send you, uh, uh, any news or gossip or, right. you know, or Absolutely. even just to check in and say hi, you know? Yeah. 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 And if you're ever in LA, please let's grab a nice lunch or something. You know, I would. Oh man. God. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm in Pennsylvania, but that'll be on my, my, uh, yeah, when, when you come out for your meeting with, with, uh, Henry and Rick, then we can, <laughs> We can have breakfast or lunch. How's that? Oh, you're getting me excited. Okay. Right? okay. I will talk to you later, and thanks Beautiful. again. Thank you very much, Mac. Have a good Sunday. You too. <laughs> Bye. The MacGyver Podcast is part of the Forever Adventure Network and made possible by donations to the Forever Adventure Network by Mac Jackson on Patreon. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever podcasts are heard. And follow us on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. And remember, stay creative, everyone. The Forever Adventure Network. Welcome to the adventure.